Hey, good morning again, everybody. Thanks so much for coming. I know there's a lot of uncertainty right now about gathering in public places, so I'm glad you made the commitment to uh, coming out to to be part of the service. I want to extend a special welcome to everybody watching live online right now as well. Thank you so much for tuning in. The Home Church locations, we're glad that you made uh, it a commitment to be a part of it as well. And again, if forever some reason you can't make it to church, just know we are streaming live online now so you can participate in worship that way. I hope you had a happy 4th of July. It seems as though as I saw you walking in, everybody had digits still attached and arms and limbs, and so that is a positive thing. I can assure you, your 4th of July was not nearly as eventful as mine. Uh, anytime you have fireworks go awry, it makes you feel alive, and it's... <laughs> fun and amazing. So uh, it was good. But if you're a guest with us, you picked a great week to start coming to church. We're actually starting a brand new series of messages, a collection of talks this week uh, called Ghost Writing and Pen Names, which if you're unfamiliar with the term, a ghost writer is someone who has been hired to write a book by somebody else, but then they get no credit at all in the process. For example, Ted Sorensen unofficially wrote the book Profiles in Courage that John F. Kennedy won a Pulitzer Prize for. It's argued that the Count of Monte Cristo is ghost-written. Uh, Ulysses S. Grant, some people believe his autobiography was actually written by his good friend Mark Twain. Uh, but the reason that we're talking about ghost writers, which should not be confused with the ghost writer and the pattern being full... That's Top Gun. Ghost writers uh, are, are uh, what we're, what the reason we're talking about ghost writers is because we're starting to study a book in your Bible uh, titled Mark. And it's commonly accepted that the disciple Peter is actually who articulated the words of the book to his attendant, John Mark, who then wrote them down. In a way, it's like Peter is the ghost writer of Mark. But even if that's not true, and Mark took it upon himself to write all of the words located in the book, the book is still called Mark. And we know Mark's real name is John Mark. So what's that called in the world of literature when you write a book under an alias? Anybody know? Pen name. Pen name. Hence the term ghost writers and pen names. Super creative. I know. But now that you have the backstory, go ahead and grab your Bible. I would encourage you each week to uh, bring your analog print Bible with you. I'm going to teach you how to do some highlights and underlining, and it's going to be a grand old time. But even if you didn't bring a Bible here, you got notes on your chairs. Uh, online, you can print the notes off. You can follow along there or even here on the screen. We'll put everything there for you. But if you flat out don't own a Bible, make sure you grab one on your way out. That's our gift to you. If you're new to the Bible, Mark is going to be located in a section of uh, the book called the New Testament. It's worth pointing out the Bible is separated into two parts. There's the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament is how primarily how God the Father 
speaks and reveals himself to humanity. The New Testament is primarily how God the Son and God the Holy Spirit uh, reveal themselves to humanity and revolutionize human history. When Jesus comes to earth, raises from the dead, sends his Holy Spirit, it's the story of all of that happening. These are commonly uh, the, the four books that tell Jesus' life, the eyewitness accounts. They're Mark, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're commonly referred to as the Gospels or the Good News. And uh, if you get nothing else I say, I want, I want to make sure you hear this. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they were written and never intended to be biographies of Jesus' life. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were all written to a unique audience at a specific time for a distinct purpose. So I'll say it this way. Each gospel account has an agenda. Each author was motivated to write what they saw. And you can see this most clearly with our boy Luke. I want to show you this real fast before we dive into Mark. Because Luke starts his book like this. Many people, many people have set out to write accounts about the events that have been fulfilled among us. They used eyewitness reports circulating among us from the early disciples, having carefully investigated everything from the beginning. I also, Luke, have decided to write an accurate account for you, most honorable Theophilus, so that you can be certain of the truth of everything you were taught. See, Luke is writing for a reason. He wanted to provide Theophilus and the other Greek readers an orderly account of the life of Jesus so that they could be certain of the stories that they had heard. So that you can be certain of the stories that you have heard. Matter of fact, the reason I wanted to bring up Luke is because as we look at Mark over these coming weeks together, it's worth knowing that most scholars agree Luke would have received much of his information for his book directly from the information from Mark. Now, just like Luke was writing to Theophilus, it's commonly understood that Mark or Peter, however you want to look at it, they were writing to the Romans. We know from church history that Peter was in Rome preaching to the people, and everybody's like, hey, this is like really good stuff, man. Somebody should totally write this down. And John Mark was like, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write all of it down so we can remember it. And here's my point. You can jot this down before we dive in. The story of Jesus doesn't start with a manger. It starts with a messenger. The story of Jesus doesn't start with the manger. It starts with the messenger. Check it out. Mark chapter 1. This is the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. It began just as the prophet Isaiah had written. Look, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, and he will prepare your way. He is a voice shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord's coming, clear the road for him. If you're a student of the Bible, you know that Peter or Mark, however you want to look at it, is actually quoting three different prophets here. There's Isaiah, certainly. There's Malachi, chapter 3. And there's also Moses and some portions of text from Exodus. But that's extra credit. That's not going to be on the quiz. There's not a quiz to get into heaven. No, I'm kidding. There's not a quiz ever. This messenger was John the Baptist. I shouldn't joke about stuff like that. This messenger was John the Baptist. He was in the wilderness and preached that people should be baptized to show that they had repented of their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. All of Judea, including all the people of Jerusalem, went out to see and hear John. 
And when they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan. You can circle that. There's no significance. Jordan River. His clothes were woven from coarse camel hair, and he wore a leather belt around his waist. For he ate, for food, he ate locusts and wild honey. John announced, Someone is coming soon who is greater than I am. So much greater that I'm not even worthy to stoop down like a slave and untie the straps of his sandals. Jesus called John the Baptist the greatest man who ever lived. And John is saying, I'm not even worthy to stoop down and untie the straps of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So there you go. No manger, no angels. No shepherds, just a brother in camel hair and a leather belt. Chewbacca, basically, is how you can look at that. In the wilderness, eating locusts and wild honey, which was essentially the ketchup of the first century. Wild honey on everything. But here's the question. Why doesn't Peter or John Mark, either one of them, why don't they talk at all about Christmas? Because as... As I look at American culture, Christmas is kind of a big deal. We put a lot of emphasis on Christmas. Christmas here starts in October. Christmas here allows businesses to stay open the rest of the year. Christmas here in America is about bonuses and pools and jelly of the month's club. So if God is ultimately the one responsible for writing the Bible, and we believe he is, Knowing the book was intended for the Romans, but we were going to be reading it 2,000 years later. How does God allow Peter or Mark to skip over Christmas? Christmas is kind of a big deal, God. You should know that. But this goes back to the point that I was trying to make earlier. There's a motive for the disciples to write. And it has nothing to do with how Jesus came to earth and everything to do with why. Now, is the virgin birth important? monumentally important. Jesus had to be born of a virgin. So he uh, was not a son of Adam and therefore inherit the sin nature that we all inherit by being human beings. But in all of the Bible, there are only a couple verses about that. Matter of fact, there are 89 different chapters in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and only four of them talk about Jesus's birth. Yet 29 chapters deal with the last seven days of Jesus' life. So I'm wondering, why in the Bible, in terms of content, why is Easter more important than Christmas? But in our world, Christmas is more important than Easter. I'll tell you why, in my opinion. Why is Christmas more celebrated than Easter? Because baby Jesus is cute, risen Jesus is threatening. Eight pound, six ounce, golden fleece, baby Jesus watching his little Einstein videos can't make you change your life. But sword wielding, tattoo on his thigh having, horse galloping, riding Jesus who stormed out of the grave and is coming back again can absolutely tell you how to live. Amen, somebody. So I know I'm taking a little time on this, but I promise we're going to get to the text. But I think you should know the first mention of Christmas we have in all of ancient history and literature was in 336 AD. So get this, the early followers of Jesus weren't mesmerized by his virgin birth. They were transformed by his resurrected life. 
And in the 1600s, when the Puritans came to the brave new world and they arrived on our shores, they outlawed Christmas. It's true. You can look it up. Uh, I want to share one uh, example of this with you because I'm a student of history. But uh, it's this one clause says, whosoever shall be found observing any such day as Christmas or the like, either by forbearing of labor, so taking time off, feasting, which is what Christmas is all about, or any other way upon such accountants as aforesaid, every person so offending shall pay of every such offense five shillings as a fine to the county. Five shillings is roughly $600 in the U.S. today. Every time you celebrate anything to do with Christmas, $600 to the county. You thought 25 for masks were bad. Now, listen to me. Everybody, all of our locations, those of you watching online, those of you in here right now, repeat after me, Landon likes Christmas, okay? Landon likes Christmas. I do. I don't like it nearly as much as my wife, but we celebrate the holiday. We decorate the house. We put the lights up. We have the tree. Santa has even visited our good little girls and good little boy. But uh, I need you to know that as Americans, we put a huge emphasis on Christmas. And the reason Mark and Peter don't mention Christmas, the reason the story of Jesus doesn't start in the manger, but rather with a messenger is because Peter and Mark know they're talking to a very practical group of people in the Romans. And they don't have time, uh, a lot of time, to spend with them. And so they're trying to get right to the point. And God, in his infinite wisdom, knew that we as Americans in 2020 would have about a 30-second window of opportunity to say anything to anybody, and our attention spans were going to be short. And so he wanted to get right to the point. And he starts with a messenger, not Christmas. Because if the point of Jesus coming was about Christmas, these four things would be true. Faith in Jesus is worthless. The New Testament is filled with lies written by liars. Christians are pitiful fools and personal sacrifice is stupid. I'm going to show you that. If the point of Jesus coming was Christmas, faith in Jesus is worthless. The New Testament is filled with lies written by liars. Christians are pitiful fools and personal sacrifice is stupid. This is 1 Corinthians 15, 14. If Christ has not been raised Easter, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. Your faith is worthless. More than that, We are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that He raised Christ from the dead. If that didn't happen, lies and liars. Verse 19 says, If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. You're a pitiful fool if Jesus didn't raise from the dead. Verse 32, If I fought wild beasts in Ephesus with no more than human hopes, what have I gained? If the dead are not raised, let us eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Why would you sacrifice anything in your life if this life is all that you had? You should just do whatever makes you happy because at some point in the future, you're going to die. Like if this is all we have, what are you even doing here? Get yourself a boat. Have you been on the lake? It's amazing. Why would you come to church if this was all that there was to life? Church is a horrible hobby. Do something. You know, you have to work all week. Why would you work on a Sunday? But the truth is, this life isn't all we have. 
It's why Mark and Peter want to talk about Jesus and his messenger, John the Baptist. And they start out by saying, this is the good news of the Messiah. Your Bible might say, this is the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Circle, star, underline, highlight, whatever you do, those two words, good news. Draw a line over to Jesus and write, the good news is a who. The good news is a who. I want to read for you a portion of text that I first read by a guy named Dr. James Allen Francis. He wrote these words, and I want you to really think about this and let this sink in. Jesus never wrote a book. He never held an office. He never owned a home. He never had a family. He never went to college. He never put his foot inside a big city. He never traveled more than 200 miles from the place where he was born. He never did one of the things that usually accompanies greatness. He had no credentials but himself. While still a young man, the tide of popular opinion turned against him. His friends ran away. One of them denied him. Another betrayed him. He was turned over to his enemies. He went through the mockery of a trial. He was nailed upon a cross between two thieves. His executioners gambled for the only piece of property he had left on this earth while he was dying. When he was dead, he was taken down and laid in a borrowed grave through the pity of a friend. Over 20 wide centuries have come and gone, and today he is still the center of the human race. How can that be? 20 wide centuries, and he's still the center of the human race. Good news. Jesus had to have been good news, or his name would not have endured that long. Just started reading a book about Genghis Khan who conquered essentially the known world, more territory than the Roman Empire, who had 400 years to do it. He did it in a little over 20. He killed over 10% of the world's population. Let that sink in. More than the Holocaust and probably many of the dictators, Pol Pot and people since. He fathered many sons. His name uh, was in power, the Khan name, for nearly 700 years. And nobody is singing songs on Sunday morning to Genghis Khan. Nobody is worshiping his name. Nobody sacrificed their life to keep any text of his alive. How can it be that Jesus is still good news? At the end of verse 1, what does Mark write? The good news of Jesus, the son of of God. Next to Son of God, right? Mark fifteen thirty nine. Because Mark fifteen thirty nine, watch this. When the Roman officer who stood facing him saw how he had died, he exclaimed, This man truly was the Son of God. It is good news that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, in order for you to understand why being the Son of God is good news, you have to understand something else. You have to understand that no world religion teaches this. Gods do not come to earth to become like us. That is insulting to the gods. It is why every other world religion teaches we have to become like them. 
by what we do. It is in our power to become like the gods and earn the gods' favor. They do not stoop to our lowly level, which here's the irony in all of that. If becoming like God is dependent upon what you do, aren't you God? Like if your eternity is based on whatever it is that you do, aren't you the one who should be worshipped because of how awesome you are? And if you're so awesome, shouldn't everybody be able to do what you've done and they'd be awesome too? Yet that is exactly what every other world religion teaches. Do this, you'll become like God. You'll be fine. You are the point. But the good news of Jesus is you're not the point. The good news of Jesus is a who, and the who ain't you. It's Jesus. The good news is God became one of us. He came to earth. And it has nothing to do with our abilities and nothing to do with our earning his favor. We have it when we trust in Jesus. Mark continues, This is the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. It began, what began? The good news began, not at his birth, but as the prophet Isaiah had written, Look, I'm sending my messenger ahead of you. He will prepare the way. In the days of kings, they used to send big delegations ahead of the king to these villages along the road, wherever the king was traveling, in order to announce that the king is coming. This is a big deal. You need to like shower and get ready. And some of you need to put on some makeup and figure out what's going on with that situation so that you can be prepared to meet the king. King. And they would, uh, these, these men who would announce that they were called evangelists and they would declare the good news the king is coming and we need to fix the roads. And they'd send people to come in and fix the roads and fix all the potholes. And it wouldn't nearly take as long as these brothers on Kellogg and 235. You know what I'm talking about? Like they would just fix it and it'd be done and it'd be amazing. And so the point is, uh, it's all about the good news. Coming is about a messenger. It's not a manger. In verse 4, this messenger was John the Baptist. He was in the wilderness and he preached that people should be baptized to show that they had repented. That's a big word. Repented. Uh, Underline that because according to that, the good news is not just a who. The good news is a what. The good news is a what. It's called repentance. Your translation might say, John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. This is an important distinction to make. A baptism of repentance. It means repentance precedes baptism. So baptism is the way you show you've repented. In, In other words, the good news isn't baptism, despite the fact that that's what John was doing. The good news is the repentance. Now, should you be baptized? Absolutely, 100%. If you've never been baptized, I would strongly encourage you to grab that connection card off your chair. Those of you watching online, you have a connection card you can download and check that little box that says, I want more information about baptism because we want to help you in your steps of faith. Because if you'll read on in Mark, you'll see Jesus actually gets baptized as an example for us to follow that we too should be baptized. But the good news is a what, and the what is repentance. The good news is an acknowledgement that Jesus is the Son of God, 
as Mark made clear. It's a who, and just as important, it's changing your life in response to that who. You do that through repentance, and you show people that you've repented through baptism. Repentance, uh, if you don't know, it's actually a navigational term. It means you're traveling along this way, you're walking, you repent and you change your direction. That's all that word means, is you change your direction. This is what God is calling you to do when you trust in Jesus as your Savior. So who, Jesus, what, changing your direction through repentance, letting everybody uh, know that is confirmed through your baptism. Mark keeps going. He says the good news is also a why. It's a who, it's a what, and a why. What's verse 4 say? That when you turn to God, you will be forgiven. The good news of Jesus is about the forgiveness of sin. That's why he came to earth, which that is not a popular idea, right? Sin, you had me, Pastor. Your helpful examples, your witty banter, you had me going until you had to talk about sin because I'm a good person. Why do we got to talk about that? Well, hang in there for just a second, because if you think about it, it kind of makes sense. Because in order to have good news, you have to have some bad news, right? How do you know what's good? Because you've experienced what is bad. How did you know that Chick-fil-A had the greatest drive through service in the history of automobiles and the tasty chicken sandwich to boot? Because you went to Burger King that time and you ordered through the drive through and it took five hours. And you're like, if I have to wait here another 10 seconds, I'm just leaving. But then they took your money at the first window and then you had to wait between the windows until you got the second window. And so you couldn't just leave. And when they finally gave you your chicken sandwich, this is like the worst thing you've ever put in your mouth. You're like, is this even real meat? I thought I ordered a chicken sandwich. So you know Chick-fil-A is the best. How'd you know Patrick Mahomes was the greatest quarterback in the history of the NFL? Because we had to play Matt Moore those couple games, and it was like just handed off. Why are you throwing? Hopefully the defense will score because this is not going to work. The bad news in your life, you are Burger King. You are Matt Moore, the backup quarterback. Left to your own devices and your own choices, you will always take yourself somewhere you don't want to go. And your rearview mirror, if you can be honest with yourself, as you look back, you can see where you brought yourself and know that's not at all where you wanted to go. And it's why repentance is such a big deal changing your direction. You don't have to start fiddling with that dimmer switch so you don't see what's in your rear view anymore. You can change your direction altogether and it has nothing to do with your abilities and everything to do with your acceptance of Jesus. But even if that's not you and you haven't made a mess of your life, we can all find a place where we've fallen short. Which again, I say this all the time, that's all that word sin means. It means to fall short. It's an archery term. If God is the standard of perfection and he is and holiness, when you compare yourself to that, you realize there's some places where you're not lining up. So you might not be call, uh, comfortable calling it sin, but that's what it really is. Not being perfect. So what do we know? We know we're not perfect people and we know the good news is we don't have to be. Because Jesus was. And we know his messenger, John the Baptist, came to alert everybody that Jesus was coming. And that was a huge deal because for 400 years, God didn't speak. 
in your Bible from the end of the Old Testament to the beginning of New Testament, 400 years of God not saying anything. And then a day in the wilderness, John the Baptist shows up and says, someone is coming and you need to be aware of him. And John the Baptist starts speaking with authority and claiming that his words are from God and something amazing happened. And it's why the story of Jesus doesn't have to start in a manger. It can start with his messenger. Because Jesus' birth wouldn't matter if he didn't raise from the dead. And the good news of repentance is when you trust in Jesus, he'll raise you from the dead too. Ephesians 2 makes it clear that you were dead in your trespasses. You were spiritually dead in sin, but you were made alive by Jesus Christ. So I wonder, when did your life change from B.C. to A.D.? Before Christ, Anno Domini, the year of our Lord. Can you look back and say, this was the year the Lord came into my life? For me, I know exactly where I was leading myself, and I know barring the good news of Jesus Christ, I would be living a miserable mess of a human existence. Which is why I always want to start the story of Jesus with amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. And not silent night. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the amazing grace that you have offered to everybody through the life, death, burial, and resurrection of your son, Jesus. Thank you for your messenger, John the Baptist, who proclaimed this good news for everyone to be aware of who Jesus was and giving all of them an opportunity to repent. God, the same opportunity is here for us right now, and we thank you for that, to change our direction, to look towards your Son, to change our lives. Because I look at the world around us, I know that everything that they're looking for can only be found in your Son. Freedom, hope. God, it's, it's only found in, in you. And so I'm asking you to do what only you can do, and send the Holy Spirit in a powerful way and awaken those dark parts of our lives. Forgive our sin. Help us acknowledge your Son. And as we change our lives, God, help it change our homes. Help it change our workplaces. Help it change our schools. Help it change our communities. Help it change our counties, our state, our nation, and God, the world. I want to be a part of something amazing, God, that brings glory to your name. And it changes people's lives. We can only do it with your help. So we're asking you to be with us this week and in the weeks to come. It's in the authority and power of Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.